When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 3, Episode 14, Stardate 9847.82, Tim's Log, Supplemental. <laughs> this week we're talking about Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 4, Forget Me Not. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. We have Jaime Lopez Jr. also on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? It's going pretty good. I think the question goes to you, Jaime. I think the how's mm. it going? goes for you our beloved american friend yeah how's it going how's it going there? there eh it's it's going in such a way that uh despite it as we record this being november 5th i don't think i've seen a single remember remember the 5th of november meme <laughs> from v for vendetta um at all it, it there nothing else is available all of the oxygen taken out of the room as the as we record here the presidential election is not yet over uh which is very non-typical doesn't happen that way uh, very often, and we are what forty eight hours past the uh, the official end of uh, the normal day, and it's still going. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, polling is closed. Yeah, we we think it's very festive of you guys to turn election day into like election week. It's it's uh, yeah. really just continue the excitement. It's uh, it, it, it's interesting to see how other parts of the world uh, interpret. I I must admit I haven't seen any CBC coverage, but I have seen some BBC coverage, and it, it amuses me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's impressive from the outside. A little bit um, unsettling. And frankly, as an external party, a little sad. It's a little sad to watch. Well, what I, I think what I said to, to somebody earlier that today when I was talking about this, that what's amazing is like the number of people who came out to vote is like a historically huge number. It's like it even, it even I think it's better than Canada's turnout normally, right? For voting. Percentage wise, yeah. Yeah. And so it's a huge percentage. And yet the vote is still split down the middle, which means that just as many Republicans and Democrats came out of, you know, the woodwork to vote this time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess normally they sit at home and think, oh, it's all it's all in the can and they don't have to bother voting. And this time they all made sure they came and did their, their civic duty and place to vote. And, and yet it still is like right down to the wire, which is just amazing, right? Yeah, as of our recording, Georgia, the difference in Georgia is like less than 2,000 votes difference, which again, just speaks to, you know, how razor thin these things can be. Yeah, just to, to point out some of the math here. So the popular vote numbers are roughly let's call them about 70 and 70 million so that's a total of 140 million long-time listeners of this show and the other show will know that there are 330 of those millions in the united states so you're running about a third or fewer that have actually voted so uh, funny things can happen at the margins when you have uh yeah. you know that that i mean it sounds like a lot because it's w what four candidates almost yeah, we, five we have candidates 36, worth of we voting have but it's, total. Still, it's, it's still a very small number when you think about the total 
actual uh, population of the United States, though. Get out there and vote, people. Oh, it's too late. I mean, don't, say, don't, don't say that now. Yeah, no, I mean, no. you, 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 don't, don't vote for this one. You know, start getting ready for the, the midterms coming up in uh, 2022 and start getting ready for the next presidential election in 2024. Well, and it sounds an awful lot like you're going to have a very important senatorial uh, pair of elections coming up in January because both Senate's, Senate seats are going to a runoff, uh, which means the, the Senate will be decided in January by who wins those elections. So imagine the next few months are going to be very focused on the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is the difference between uh, potentially a uh, Democratic, or the Democrats holding all three uh, areas of the government versus having a combative Senate for the next four years is a pretty big difference, or at well, least two years. We, we got to fact check that one because they they're, they would only have two because they do not have the judicial branch. True, so yes. Right. They'd have the, My bad. the, the uh, executive branch and they would have the legislative branch, which is split in twain between the Senate and the House of Representatives. So, mm. yeah. yeah, it's true. I guess you, you point out a very good, uh, a very good note there that you, no matter how you slate things, you could also face problems with the judicial branch overturning the decisions made by the legislative branch, especially given the makeup of the Supreme Court now. Yeah. So my sci-fi brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this, some fun stuff. To, to put a cap on that, this is why oh, okay. the prequels didn't work that well. It's like <laughs> politics, as interesting as it is in real life, is not great, you know, storytelling, storytelling yeah. dramatically. Yeah. Mm, true, true. Good point. Good point. Alrighty. Well, let's move on to some fact check. Um, Christopher Heyerdahl is the actor's name who played, uh, what was his name last week on the on the last episode? Juan or Wan or something? Was? Yeah, you guys don't remember. <laughs> anyway, but he's he's the actor who, who's the snidely whiplash character in in, uh, in Hell on Wheels. He plays a... Oh, the old uh, guy from last week's episode. Yeah, let me... Yeah. Yeah, he plays uh, Colm Neely, who we all know as, you know, the, the most important character in Star Trek lore, uh, Chief O'Brien. Um, he uh, he plays like the baddie in Hell on Wheels to, you know, Anson Mount's uh, character, which I forgot the name of already. But um, uh, Christopher Heidel plays plays the Swede, as they call him in the show. And he's sort of the, the you know, the, the the henchman sort of money guy for, for Colm Neely's character. And he's sort of the bane of a lot of people's uh, existence in that show and he has a whole sort of arc as well that he goes through but yeah that's he's a pretty interesting actor i've seen him in a, seen him in a few things and and uh, i'm sure we'll see a lot more he's like one of the another one of these uh, norwegian actors has come over like the guy from um, robocop and uh, the killing the killing in fact the whole entire show the killing came from norwegian television right so yeah apparently it was win last week i just looked uh, up in my win, yeah thank you yes and it was something with a w w and a three-letter word and, and is joel kinnaman the guy you were talking about Joel Kinnaman, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I think The Killing, um, the lead actress uh, who plays the main, like he plays the partner, and the lead actress in The Killing is also from from over there too. And she's uh, she's been in a few movies since then as well. Like like she's become a sort of a North American actor actress as well. You mean Meliolinus? Yeah, maybe red hair. Yes, yeah, that's her. Yeah, um, I think she's American. Is she okay? I thought she came over from. Um, oh, she was in uh, World War Z. She played the wife, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I thought she was from over there. Hmm. But he is definitely Joel Kinnaman. Her mother sure. is French, but she was uh, born and raised if you look in the at it, If you look up Joel Kinnaman, he was actually in The Killing in the Swedish version. Oh, yeah? Yeah. If you check I like Sweden. Some of those Swedish crime dramas are really good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Different different perspective, I think. You know, they have a sort of a fresh take. I, th- I think we get out of that sort of American, sorry, funny, get out of that <laughs> sort of American writing rut that, that we get with cops and hospitals and general, general, that kind of drama. Whatever, yeah, right? 
they seem to take a less glamorous approach of, of those things. Yeah. One question I have, which will have to remain to be seen, is, you know, in the last, you know, since March, we've seen a lot of uh, protests and things like that. And we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, police versus protesters kind of stuff happening. And yet we watch a lot of shows like uh, The Rookie and a few other shows that are like basically cop shows. As, as SWAT is another one that, that was quite popular last year. And they kind of mention that they're sort of like not all cops are like this kind of thing in their in their their premiere uh, episode or their, their trailer for this new season but i'm curious now to see like because the rookie takes place it's a bunch of cops in la right um which is one of the hot spots and and uh you know with with different kinds of behaviors and stuff like that so it'll be interesting to see how that comes out in the writing and in this next year coming up right or next couple of years i guess yeah there was a really good um when black lives matter movement and all the protests against the police were really very much stronger earlier this year uh the writers of brooklyn 99 which is a mm -hmm. famous yeah, cop true, tv one, yeah. show uh but a comedy at that said they threw out all the scripts for their next season and said they had to start yeah. over because they needed right. to think harder about how they were just portraying these cops and i think that's yeah, really commendable yeah. that they were uh you know being a little woke that way and and trying to understand uh the complexities of telling stories about cops nowadays yeah exactly exactly anyway um yeah so moving on john c Riley is a character i couldn't remember the name of who was the guy the guy from doing air quotes the guy from chicago you guys both looked at me like there was crickets because i guess neither <laughs> one of you watched the movie chicago um uh yeah john c valley he plays he played a number of characters obviously he i think but uh, um you know, so he, he's the guy that was in Moonbase eight that i was talking about and, and when i was trying to you know fish for the name of the pearson and i mentioned chicago you guys were drawing a blank and i should have mentioned for this show forgot the audience i was talking i should have said wreck it ralph oh well then i would have had oh. that no problem yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course you could have gotten stepbrothers i would have got there you know like <laughs> true or talladega nights yeah, sure whatever. yeah 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 for sure for sure anyway all right and jaime you got a fact check for us yeah it, it, so i think this was related to us talking about hey why does michael burnham have hair such yeah, long yeah. hair and i said well maybe there's technology that allows this to happen it's a stylistic choice not necessarily natural hair we posited like well what if captain picard in his daily routine wakes up uses the magic grow hair stuff and says nope i'm gonna shave it all off because that's my choice and i brought up the play-doh barbershop stuff and i actually found the old 1990s commercial or at least one of them uh, there is a modern product that does does it shows exactly what i'm talking about if you don't know those of you transporting at home we've got that that uh, youtube link that shows you like yep you squeeze the play-doh out and it comes out of the character's head and then you just shave it off and rinse and repeat and do the same thing and maybe that's what card does but i don't think you said <laughs> fuzzy pumper if you said play-doh fuzzy pumper we would have all known what you meant i oh, didn't know sure. what the product was called it's just new it was like haircut play-doh and google is very good and i was able to find what i was looking for well they used to have that extruder thing i forget what they call it that's what, it, what it's called when you squish something through a, a mold but um they used to have that extruder toy that we used to you know you'd make like spaghetti and whatever oh yeah and, i think and every and kid was mandated to have that in the 70s and 80s yeah and that big got the uh the fuzzy pumper which you know i still remember the little bald guy with the hair growing out of him and yep. getting really long and then you could you could style and you'd be stylistic but like, okay so listen you brought up you brought up old commercials so i have to i have to throw a friend of the show tammy coron onto the bus because she posted a picture of a halloween candy called which we call in canada rockets right yeah and she called them smarties well she, 
uh, sorry, she didn't call them smarties. I just happened to notice that she, what it is basically the role of, of like, you know, sort of, um, uh, forget what, sort of candy, like chewable candy, like, like dry sort of powdery, um, things that you throw in your mouth and they come in a roll. And we, you know, we go through them like, you know, tons at, at, at the Halloween time. And, uh, she posted it online, a picture of it and saying this is her favorite candy. And they're actually called smarties on the, on the package in the U.S. And so I, you know, we were back and forth with Jaime and myself and Tammy on, on the Facebook. And, uh, and I want, I didn't realize until I went back and looked at one of the comments that it actually said Smarties on. And I pointed out that Smarties in Canada are actually a candy by Roundtree, which very similar to M&M's. They're like chocolate on the inside and they have a candy coating with like color on the outside. And of course, you know, in Canada, every kid knows when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? Do you crunch them very um, slowly? Or do you or chew them very fast? Them very eat that candy coated chocolate, but tell me when I ask, when oh, you eat your Smarties, do you, do you eat, eat the red, the red ones last? Anyway, so yeah, which is kind of funny because you know what happens is, is I don't know about you, Jonathan, but but for me, like, yeah, you know, I literally eat my, the red ones last. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I spitefully eat them first, so... Do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You, you and your Metallica downloads, I guess, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, sure. Now I've got Lars after me. Great. Appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, so, so that's that's it for our follow-up this week, or fact-check, I should say. See, see, I mean, we're doing it. We're all doing it. <laughs> um, no, that would be fact-check on spot on more than just code, too. Anyway, let's move on to the headlines. We have some sad news. Well, we all, by now, everybody knows, you know, besides the election, the other sad news is this. Yeah, so uh, Sir Sean Connery, who uh, is the original James Bond in films, dies at the age of uh, 90. Apparently, he died yes, in his sleep that... in the Bahamas and uh, had been in some poor health before then. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So now I just have to point out Zardos, since we're, you know... Oh, a, God bless Zardos. A Star Trek or sci-fi... I'm going to... I think I think the image for this week's uh, uh, episode is going to be Zardos with oh, the gun there. That is... Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that, Jaime, but the outfit that they make Sean Connery wear in Zardos is maybe the most bat-crap crazy costume ever designed for a sci-fi film. It is... Yeah. It's. It looks like something out of uh, pornography. Like, it's just... It's so bizarre. I've, I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the the photo that's got a, a has got a Borat style oh yeah man, man, exactly. sling is the best way with to describe the boots it and uh, and a big furry hairy Scottish chest oh it's spectacular yeah yeah, yeah. it's a, it's an unforgettable image you cannot unsee it yeah and this uh, the, you know Connery obviously best known as Bond and, and that will be his legacy but he did some real good sci-fi fantasy bona fides like he did uh, Highlander of course yeah uh, you know Indiana Jones Outpost uh, yeah Zardos I mean there was you know like a pretty good time bandits time bandits Dark. absolutely agamemnon yeah. yeah yeah so i mean this is somebody who you know he he wasn't exactly you know a household uh, name as a sci-fi star but he definitely uh over the course of a very illustrious career was you know he was in our world a fair bit and uh yeah made a made a real memorable impact again you know like the second thing i go to after uh james bond for him is uh well maybe you have to red october but he's definitely uh you know well known for those you know appearances in science fiction it's it's you know henry jones senior right like that for me yeah, for sure, yeah. is yeah. one of the iconic roles of his career he he was such a memorable performer alongside uh, harrison ford in the third indiana jones film it's yeah, uh sure. yeah again mm-hmm. this it's a hard one you know like it's always hard to say goodbye to these icons of our lifetime uh but you know huge life he retired at a point
point where he didn't make any performances later in his life where we're like, that's bad. Or, you know, like he went out when he chose to. He, you know, it seems like he always sort of did his 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 thing his way. And, you know, he sort of gracefully and quietly faded from the spotlight, lived his last few years in in retirement and and, and passed away quietly. I think, you know, this is something to be said for that. It's commendable. Yeah, interesting. There's a couple of stories I heard this week, but one one was from Richard Krauss, and that was that, you know, when when uh, Dr. No was first produced um, or made into a film, Ian Fleming was still alive and he was still writing the books, right? Mm-hmm. And he was so opposed to Sean Connery um, playing the character because he just thought he was like a meathead thug kind of, you know, Cockney actor mm. kind of thing, right? Or Scottish, I guess. But uh, he, he just did, he was really opposed to the idea of him. But after seeing him portray James Bond in Dr. No, he went back and rewrote the character with Sean Connery's background. Nice. So, yeah, so it's kind of, you know, that's how, how impressive he was, even after one movie, you know, like, like and then he became, he, I think he owned that role. I mean, all through, you know, I think in your your generation, it was um, Roger Moore. Robert, Roger Moore. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then we went through some the dark period and we had uh, <laughs> wasn't that dark um, <laughs> I, I i can say i didn't mind timothy, timothy. dalton i yeah, didn't okay. mind timothy dalton's first one his second one yeah. was pretty bad but then we had yeah. pierce brosnan and he was, pierce, he was, I was gonna a say, strong pierce brosnan was was that coming out of the dark period that's what i'm saying like yeah. and then and then and then of course now we have um, daniel craig but the it, it's an iconic character and but the thing to me is sean connery's always owned that character right so he's he's sort of the first doctor for me kind of thing right yeah i do find that bond is definitely one of those things where it's a product of its era um as you say I, the first one of the first movies I, I remember seeing in the theater as a little boy was for your eyes only in 1980 i think i was six right. um my parents took me to go see that and um and you know it made an impression this is this was james bond i'd seen my first james bond movie and you know you can say of course that those you know some of those bond movies particularly the, la- the latter uh roger moore ones are very campy and very kind of um uh tongue-in-cheek in a way that the the the, the um Sean Connery ones are like the saint actually yeah yeah but you know this guy was you know the bond of an entire generation of people and there are people who have that same affection for the Pierce Brosnan and I, and I know there are people who have that affection for uh you know Daniel Craig so I think it really does depend how old you are uh, Jaime I don't know if you have a different perspective as the uh, the young man in our crew I do think of of Connery as being so iconic for um bond um uh, certainly in in the the top three discussion probably regarding regardless of your age i mean mm. i think like it, it may be like oh you've literally not experienced his films i think that's different but but now through the magic of you know streaming services and everything's available oh, yeah. no matter what i think if folks just watched all the bond films even if you started with the daniel craig and you just sort of went back and went through them all i think you would find that connery should be consistently top three even yeah. if you were like eh, there's a little cringy like it was cool in the 60s but now it's like that's not an okay thing to do sort of thing like i think even with that working against it, I think you would still have to recognize just how powerful a character that was, yeah. Um, and the portrayal yeah, was, sure. and and for Sean Connery, um, he is so iconic as an actor that one of the more iconic modern Saturday Night, Night Live roles that exists literally doesn't even star him. It is another person pretending oh, yeah. to be Sean Connery, causing all sorts of trouble on Jeopardy. Yep. Right? So, yeah, yeah. That's how iconic it is. Like you rapist? don't need the yeah. little actor for. Be like, yeah, that's funny. 
not want to see it several times. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's one of those things too. Like I think maybe I'm of the right age that uh, when I first got into James Bond, it was on the, you know, ABC Monday night movie where they would show the classic Bond movies, but the quality was dreadful. The reproduction, they had cropped them. The, they were, you know, gritty and terrible to look at. So I didn't really, I wasn't really infatuated with them because they just seemed like bad old movies. It wasn't until uh, they made the transfer to Blu-ray in particular. I had I had all the movies on VHS and they were better. But when they did the full restoration for the Blu-rays that I got the, the whole Bond collection and sat down and they did a meticulous, an incredible job of restoring those films to, you know, they literally through the computer frame by frame uh, restorations. And Dr. No was a movie I always thought was really kind of awful. But now I think it's incredible because I've seen it how it was originally filmed and it looks incredible. So I I really do think that, you know, uh, there were a lot of factors that sort of skewed me away from that initially. And now I I have a huge appreciation and I love all of those, uh, the Sean Connery's in a way that I never did when I was a younger man. Yeah, there's a ton of movies that I could name for Sean Connery. I mean, he's been in some of my favorite movies. Like, like, and it's funny though, when every time I watch Time Bandits, um, which is again, one of my favorite movies, uh, I'm always always surprised myself when I remember that he plays Agamemnon in that movie. Yep. Um, but but some of my favorite movies like the man who or the the man who would be king. The man who the would be king. Michael, That's a great one. With Michael Caine yeah. and, and all about the Masons, mm-hmm. Freemasons, mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's an amazing movie. Absolutely. Right? So, uh, yeah, for sure. He's so you know, and and he played Robin Hood at one point, and Robin Hood's always been sort of a like you know he's like he's up there with in my lore as Superman or Batman, whatever. Robin Hood has always been a like up there with King Arthur too, right? I don't know if he ever played King Arthur, but uh, no, but yeah, he did play he, King Richard, right? And uh, he had the cameo at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where he came right, in as yes, the king. Yes, right, yeah, and and it's sort of like, yeah, it's kind of like, and when he did a cameo, it was always sort of like, oh my God, it's Sean Connery. Like you're right, even even playing Indiana Jones's father, um, you know, was sort of a, you know, they built up towards this reveal in the movie, and and it's still an amazing thing. And then and then it's funny that he still even like uh, Indiana Jones is such an iconic, you know, swashbuckling sort of character that we've always sort of you know admire him and he has that sort of human edge to him but he really gets put in his place by sean connery which is mm-hmm. uh, right right to the end of when he says, says let it go mm-hmm. you know kind of thing right so it's a, an amazing character it'll be missed for sure absolutely yep all right let's move on to the next story i mean yeah, for those who are interested in watching anime, uh, if you're like me, you've probably watched via Crunchyroll. And I thought this acquisition or reported acquisition was kind of interesting because I'm a little worried. So I think Crunchyroll is a great service. I'm uh, the, the the cheap kind of person. So I watch Time Delayed, which is what, like about a week behind for free. You have a uh, membership that you could pay for. It's like $8 a month and you can watch uh, new shows when they become available simultaneously in Japan. Um, Sony is apparently looking to acquire Crunchyroll from uh, AT&T, who currently owns it. AT&T, who has the uh, the touch of death and everything that it acquires, <laughs> and is also looking to, to divest itself of uh, the failing DirecTV. Um, I'm a little concerned that, uh, you know, it might end up in the wrong hands. It's not to say that it will, but uh, it's noted here that Sony already owns Funimation, and I vaguely remember Funimation having good stuff and then being really hard to see anything at all mm. uh, for free, at the very least. So 
a little concerned about Crunchyroll um, going that route as well. I wonder if that's sorry. I was gonna say I wonder if it's tied to uh, the PS5 about to launch too. I wonder if there's a timing thing there where they see an opportunity to uh, use the content there. Yeah, everybody sort of sees their opportunity to get streaming services aligned into their their vertical product stack. So you're right. I hadn't thought about that angle, but it, it totally makes sense. Mm. How is the PS4 TV sort of idea coming or PlayStation TV coming? Wasn't there a talk about that a while back? Well, they, they actually did that several years ago. They did start producing original content and do, doing that. It was very short lived. They did. They actually did an adaptation of a comic, which I'm a big fan of, called Powers, about uh, a police a force that operates inside the world that has superpowers. And they are just regular cops, but they're solving crimes involving you know, superpower beings. And it was actually not a bad show. I actually kind of enjoyed it. It had some good performances, but that was sort of their, you know, uh, top show. And it lasted two seasons and, and 10, uh, like 20 episodes total. And it was gone. That was, I think, just sort of a, uh, you know, that was in that sort of era where everyone saw, uh, saw a pathway to creating original content and driving uh, people inside their own environments. But I, I don't think they could, it, they had the way to sustain it. They just didn't have the content library. And, uh, you know, it's not cheap to produce shows. So, you know, they didn't go the Netflix road of just going hard after it and, and uh, you know, figuring out where the money comes from later. Do you, know, you have any idea where the name Crunchyroll comes from? I believe it is a play on the Crunchyroll for sushi. Uh, the okay. sushi roll. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, like the, uh, I think it's a snow crab, right? Probably. I'm not not sure. a snow crab. The, or, it's, like a, it's like a crab that's like deep fried and then wrapped in, in a sushi kind of thing. What do they call it? Dragon roll, maybe? I don't know. No, not dragon roll. Anyway, There's your spider roll. For next spider, week. spider roll. It's called spider roll. Spider roll. Just remember to. Okay. Um, what's up next? I mean, this is a uh, a Netflix series that looks kind of interesting. So the, I'll I'll read the um the Ars Technica title here. Action packed Alice in Borderland trailer boasts a killer tiger and bikini foo. So if that doesn't get your attention, um, <laughs> this one uh could be interesting because it's uh, it's coming what December tenth. And when I look at this, I say, hmm, it's as if somebody said, what if you like the um either the classic manga or anime or even I guess there's some movies of uh, Gantz or Gantsu uh, where people are drawn into a, a game and the consequences are real and, and death can can it does occur and you said hey people are also fans of uh, Kakegurui which is a anime show and manga based on people doing gambling uh, particularly card games mm. and this seems to be based on that sort of idea of like hey what if people just suddenly got pulled into this mysterious game where uh, crazy stuff happens like you know riding tigers and and having to fight while (laughs) bikinied and uh it's got a little bit of sword art online in it and i think even if you don't know any of that source material let's say watch the trailer because it's like oh this seems kind of like a cool concept and uh, surprisingly it's not a movie it is a a limited series here i think that uh, could let them explore some interesting topics here cool check that one in Mm -hmm. all right and we have some sad news i think sad news well it's hard to say i I watched the first season okay so then you can be our gauge so uh the new news is that the anthology series Castle Rock, which is based on the Stephen King universe, which is a bit of a stretch, Mm -hmm. uh, has, I guess you could say it was cancelled. They just say it's not getting a third season. So it was an anthology and it basically tried to sort of build on the idea that Castle Rock, Maine has all these sort of mysteries that are all intertwined with all these classic elements from the Stephen King uh, books and films, which we are also familiar with. And the first season was 
pretty well heralded. People liked it, it seemed. And it had a pretty um, fancy cast, right? It had Sissy Spacek and Andre Holland and um, Mm -hmm. um, Bill Skarsgård and, yeah, and Scott Glenn. And so it it sort of got off on the right foot. The second season didn't seem to have quite as much juice. Um, But the sentiment of this article that you can find in our show notes and and, uh, from a few different things that I read online was that it kind of played itself to its inevitable end. There's only so far you could stretch that premise. Um, so maybe it's maybe it's just an, uh, an appropriate time for it to end too. Right? Hmm. Did you uh, did you enjoy the first season you watched him? I you know I did, and and it was but it, but it was sort of um, I think it was partly the star power, like you said. Um, uh, I vaguely remember the the character, the Sissy Spacek characters of it, uh, sort of maybe some dementia or something like that. There's sort of she has some trouble with memory and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and the antics she gets into and that kind of thing. And but she's sort of a it's sort of dementia but it's not like it's seen by the other characters as dementia but it's not really kind of thing because mm. um, there's there's weird things going on in the city right or the, or the the town or whatever it is right um, and there's you know it's sort of I don't know it had sort of a Gotham-y feel it had um, you know a bit of this bit, bit of Fargo a bit of you know Black Mirror kind of non weirdness to it but and typical Stephen King kind of you know you know think people coming out of the sewers and stuff like that but um, yeah I don't know I, when when second season came around I you know I don't remember if I didn't set the PVR for whatever reason and just didn't just didn't catch up with it. I figured I'd watch it later on, right? So, but uh, I, the, I don't think any can, for me personally, no, no compelling reason to go back. But then I'm not a huge, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies, but I've never sat down and read one of his books, right? So, yeah, mm. yeah, I, I, you know, wasn't a hard pass, but it was just sort of a meh yeah. for me, right? Yeah. Next up, uh, interesting casting news. So the uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan has signed on mm. to join the cast of of uh, the DC Comics-based property Stargirl, which is a CW show. And he's going to be on season two as the uh, character Thunderbolt, which for fans of the Justice Society of America, or JSA Comics, uh, is a pretty familiar one. He is uh, essentially a genie in a bottle, only in uh, the comic books and on the show. He is contained in, inside of the ink of a pink pen. He is, he is there for a big pink uh, wish-granting imp so uh i guess i see it in the same way i saw robin williams as the genie in the bottle in aladdin he's you know big and you know funny and charming and maybe that's a good fit um i know he has been doing more acting the last few years and uh i have enjoyed some of his performances uh but yeah interesting that somebody uh i mean this is a you know he's one of the top performing and and uh grossing comedians in the world right now it's an interesting development for him to take on a role in a show like that I haven't seen that show. Uh, have, have you seen it? Any uh, any thoughts on the show? I have only seen the first episode and I enjoyed it. Uh, it is not airing here in Canada. So I may have watched it on a uh, streaming site online. And uh, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, it, it's definitely the from what I've seen of their sort of building this sort of Justice League within around this one character and then sort of expanding that universe. I'm certainly keen to get uh, active on it. I wish there was a uh, proper venue for it to be viewed up here. But uh, originally it was an exclusive to the DC Universe app. And then I guess the next day it was airing on CW in the United States. You can get CW here in Canada through watching a subscription. You can get um, uh, what, like uh, WSBK or like one of the big mega stations in like Boston, Chicago, wherever, LA. Um, but unless you have like the top tier of cable packages, you can't get that. So 
uh, alas, it is out of reach. It, there's no Canadian uh, supplier for it. So cool. All right. So now the big news, the big news of the day. Yeah, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special has released a trailer. Uh, it will be streaming, the, the special it is, on November 17th, this uh, this life day. And apparently <laughs> this uh, takes place after Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and follows Rey as she prepares for life day. Um, and it's uh, it's looking pretty fun. Uh, it's, it's got some some timey-wimey stuff going on where she, uh, in, in, in very like, Daisy Ridley-esque fashion, is like, my monster, my monster's master my master's father you know it's like he was like yeah it probably would fill in ray on like a whole bunch of weird stuff that happened that kind of wasn't uh covered too well that uh would be shocking and we get um we get multiple hans or hands and solos <laughs> hands or hans Han solos i don't know how to pluralize han solo i think we have to go with uh the same way it's attorneys general i think it's hans solo it's confusing hans. because hans it, it's still hans or hans depending how you like to put that accent on there and uh yep. hans is solo <laughs> yeah this has been on my uh radar since they first announced it was coming out um it was probably almost two months ago that they said they were going to do this and they just offered a little teaser that this just trailer looks hilarious and i you know i think i'll be watching this more than once yeah for sure the trailer or the show all of it yeah yeah, yeah. way in i mean the the name star wars holiday special should like send chills down your spine oh you know, no right? no no it is one of the most <laughs> delicious pieces of camp ever put to television so right, right. i think It'll be interesting to see how many nods there are to it. I think that'll be the real, the real, you know, obviously it's going to be centered around the new characters and there's going to be the Legoisms and stuff like that. But I am dying to see how they reference that original 1978. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, That's true. They probably will. Special because right? it's got to. With it, with, by picking up that name, they have to reference it. So, yeah with the pancake makeup and everything. Oh, if only Carrie Fisher was alive to sing again. All right, what's next? Well, I've got two uh, intertwined stories to uh, finish us up for the headlines this week. Uh, so some bad news for those of us who are living in the uh, greater Toronto area. Uh, Cineplex announced today that they are uh, not going to bother opening their reopening their theaters because the new restrictions here in the province would limit them to a maximum of 50 people in inside any uh venue not just a theater but inside the actual venue wow uh, so they have said it's just not worth our while to reopen so we're going to wait until there are uh clearer paths to do that so that's disappointing so i mean you could still go out to areas outside of uh, uh toronto and peel and the areas here in in uh, the greater toronto area but obviously they don't recommend that they want you to sort of stay in your own community and not uh, potentially spread any illness through uh, the coronavirus so basically, uh, we've been talking for weeks and, and uh, you know, for quite a, quite a while since summertime, we've been talking about the fact that there isn't a lot of reason to go to the theater because there hasn't been a lot of new content. Well, now even going to the theater is off the table. So unfortunate, but not unexpected, I suppose. And spinning out of that is the news that uh, they announced today the date for the release of Tenet, which was the last big try at putting a movie in the theater during the, the pandemic and seeing how it did so the uh the christopher nolan movie that was uh the test balloon for will people go back to the theater and it did make some money and it did okay but certainly was a a pretty big disappointment it made 350 million bucks according to uh, warner wow. brothers uh around the world that's total gross around the entire world not nothing but i think obviously disappointing for what they expected the movie to be uh anyway it's going to be coming to uh your 4k blu-ray your blu-ray 
your DVD digital platforms and uh, uh, the whole nine yards on December 15th. And pre-orders are supposed to be up on November 10th. So uh, you'll be able to decide whether or not you want to dive into Tenet now in the comfort of your own homes. I know I'll be adding this to my uh, Christmas list because, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I desperately want to see it. I love Chris Nolan's movies and I'm really, really keen. And I've been curious since I knew that he started working on this to see what uh, what this was. But um, now now we have a safe way to do that. For sure, yeah. I guess I just queued up uh, Dunkirk to watch it again that on the old television. is an amazing... But again, it's stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, you and I and, uh, and Xavier went to see Dunkirk in the in IMAX. And it was a breathtaking movie to be seen on that scale. The sound, the, the production is so incredible. It does kind of make me sad that Tenet won't be that kind of experience. But I think I still feel comfortable with the decisions I made. Yeah, we just have to sit real close to the TV and put the subwoofer on and... Can I sit on the subwoofer? Would that help? Make make some, make some, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Make some popcorn and just do the whole thing. Yeah. All righty, well, that's it, folks. We're now at the point of the show where we start talking about Star Trek Discovery episode, Season 3, Episode 4, Forget Me Not. And I believe Jaime's doing the play-by-play this week. That's right, sir. Or at the very least, I've taken notes, so I'm going <laughs> to do the play-by-play. All make, right. well, make we it can seem help. like it's I, worth I it. Have, I, have some, I have some questions, but yeah, yeah. We, we can dig in. I apologize. I take the notes. Uh, nobody else can see this, um, but this is for you two gentlemen. When I take these notes, I use my iPhone and it likes to do autocorrect. So <laughs> if there are weird typos, especially for characters' names, that's what it is. And I just fixed one. All right. So we start on uh, on the USS Discovery and we have Culber's, Dr. Culber's log. So uh, chief medical officer. Culber's log supplemental. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's going through sort of the, the doctor's view of what's been going on with the crew, what's been happening. And, you know, you know, he's got this realization that they've basically missed out on all the life events that make them human because they left everything in the past. So they missed birthdays, they missed weddings, they missed, you know, even funerals, which is, you know, sad as they are, they're just a part of life. Like all of that is just long gone and, and long irrelevant, you know, some thousand years in the future. Um, and, and people deal with it in, in different ways. And we see um, like Detmer, who's just like getting swole and, you know, hitting the gym real hard to try to work out some of uh, her problems problems both uh you know literally and uh, and metaphorically um and and he's talking about the fact that they've gotten this mantra that you know when not if but when we find the federation is a mantra that's helping some people and giving them some hope and something to rally behind and isn't helping others you know maybe because it brings it to the forefront of like it's it's not here you know we we succeeded in that you know life exists in the galaxy uh unlike what, what was going to happen if control took over but uh you know at, at what cost Right. Right. So before you dig in, I have my first question of the show, and and it has to do with last week. It was the hair growth, or two weeks ago it was the hair growth. But this week, you know, during Culber's sort of monologue at the at the opening or his log, um, we see repair bots hovering around the the Discovery, repairing the ship from the outside. Now I don't know about you, but I watched the original series, which Discovery takes place before the original series. Scotty never had no repair bots. Yeah, I had the exact same. I, I, I have written down five questions about this episode, and that was right in the yeah. middle of them. What's with all the robots? Because they actually appear later on when they go into the hangar yes. bay. And the medical robots. And the medical too, exactly. robots. All of a sudden, and it, and they did have that in the intro, right? Since the beginning of this season, they've had the robots in the intro. But all of a sudden, there's a lot more robots. And, and we'll we'll get to some possible thoughts on that later, I think. Are we, is it a, did they cross over into the WALL-E universe or something? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I guess it's not explained on camera 
camera, but you can sort of rationalize it if you recall that Discovery is not your normal ship. It was a, a, a research vessel, um, more yeah. specifically looking at the spore drive. But, you know, it was sort of set up as doing all sorts of weird stuff, right? So maybe they said, hey, let's try these robots. And then it's like, oh, no, <laughs> these robots tend to do bad things. Let's stop doing it and go back to people. You know, you, you can you can mm. retcon some of that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we'll save this one for the end of the episode. Let's go through the description first, because I think there's a clue as to what's happening once we get through the, the narrative here. So, yeah, OK, you're right. Sure. sure. Um, yeah, so I think Culber here is talking about Adira, the, the host for the Trill Symbiont that gives them hope um, that they can find the Federation, given that uh, they have the um, the answer locked away, but at least the answer somewhere for um, the uh, oh, my gosh, I forgot. Is it Senator Admiral? What was the call? Um, uh, Senator. Yeah, Senator. Admiral, Admiral to Senator. Yeah. Thank you. Senator. Thank yeah. you. So um, we find out that, uh, you know, Adira was found about a year ago with no memory of how this, you know, this squid thing came to be. How how did they end up with a symbiont inside them, which is very unusual. Uh, recapping uh, that Adira is human and not, not Trill, like, uh, like Jedzia or Ezri Dax that we've seen on Deep Space Nine. Um, and they sort of say, all right, well, the only way to figure out what's going on is to take Adira to Trill since they're, you know, probably pretty well versed in uh, in how this will work uh, of course there is some consternation a little bit of concern of like what if trill is what it was before you know mm. a thousand years later what, and the burn has happened what if crazy things are going on it's like all right well we have no choice let's use this spore drive let's jump over there um, and they do the discovery arrives at trill and um they're uh they're, they communicate with commissioner voss or vosh I, I i didn't get from the subtitles of just listening to it so apologize if i spelled it wrong uh, yeah I, I, I had Va- written them down it was voss v-o-s yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Commissioner Voss hasn't seen a Federation ship in many years and is like very, very excited for that to happen. So, you know, having a, a symbiont return home is a, is a blessing. Um, and uh, we end up in a different scene with uh, Saru checking on Stamets health, you know, given the uh, importance of the sport drive. Like, all right, you know, you were injured. This is a taxing thing to begin with. And the discovery is really hyper dependent on the spore drive, given the limitations of dilithium in this uh, post-burn world. Right? And this, uh, oh my gosh, so Tilly has an idea on how to use uh, dark matter to uh, pierce the subdomain rather than doing the, the normal spore stuff. But uh, Stamets is a bit jerky in his uh, in his response, which I guess contextually he's like, look, this is risky. Um, we can't just wing it with all these people's lives at stake. I mean, look what happened to the Glen, right? People were horribly twisted up in a, a, a Cronenberg-esque sort of way uh so so not really a, a good start to uh to this episode for the tilly and uh, stamets relationship but it was a good moment for saru as the new captain of the ship where he kind of puts stamets in his place and says listen i know that you are the the stir that straws the uh, straw that stirs the drink on our spore drive but look what happened last time you got hurt and we were in deep doo-doo so we need to figure something out and stamets says no no i'm the part I'm the key part. And he's like, listen, enough. Like, you have to fix this. You can't be the only way for us to activate the spore drive or we're going to die out here sometime. Yeah, I mean, they should, you know, have doctors with him at all times and guards and he should be wrapped in bubble wrap to make sure he doesn't like fall and hurt himself uh, just given his, you know, uh, his criticality towards their systems. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so uh, Dr. Culber uh, meets with Michael Burnham. Uh, Michael is in the middle of reviewing, you know, this like star chart based information about what's known about the burn. And he tells Michael that he thinks that uh, she should be the one to take Adira to the planet's service that, you know, given what she's gone through might help, um, you know, uh, mentor in some ways what Adira is, is dealing with, some of the difficulties there. And, and uh, Culber calls Michael a uh, responsibility hoarder. So uh, I like that term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, fairly true, given what we've seen of the character. And uh... an interesting note in that scene, too, where um, Ober points out for us, the audience, that Burnham has decorated her quarters. He, she used to maintain a very Spartan quarters, and she's decorated, and her, her room that she shares with Tilly has got, like, life to it, which is something that's very un-Burnham-like from what they know of her in the past. True, true. You're right. I think I think that will probably pay uh, play a part and pay off uh, as we go through the episodes in this season mm-hmm. i think it speaks to the development of the character right like she's she's more comfortable with herself she's more she's less uptight and i think it's interesting it's a, it was an interesting move to call it out and and really sort of put it out there that that she's not the same person and we knew that but it's a very very um, different way than just having her act differently to actually show her quarters as decorated is an interesting thing yeah it, it definitely gives a more home and permanent style feel to mm-hmm. it versus like what michael was doing before is kind of like the real world equivalent would be the person who doesn't customize their desk at all at work mm. right like back mm-hmm. when we used to work in offices and it's like oh because that person is ready to leave at any given moment which kind of makes sense given michael's history and especially since she was brought on for what was supposed to be a, a, a very temporary assignment um given the the shenanigans that um Lorca went through to get her on board the discovery right yeah but interesting so. too because it really does speak to you know we spent the first couple of seasons establishing that you know she was pretty broken by some of the issues she had with her parents and being raised by the Vulcans and and the fact that she is now this person who feels like she can make herself at home is a real character growth too and interesting interesting way to do that uh, so we ended with a, a hallway conversation with uh, Adira wondering why the heck Michael is coming along and Michael sort of toys around a little bit like, alright well because we, you can go by yourself if you want that's cool and <laughs> was like no 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 uh, yeah let, let's go let's, let's go get it done right let's go down to, uh, to the planet and, and, and see this through um a pretty good character moment uh i think some of that comes back later in in this episode um but anyways we do switch over to dr culber who's giving the uh the crew health review to saru and he's like look they're medically okay and saru's like but you didn't say healthy and culber's like you're right uh the crew is stressed out their um their stress uh, uh hormones are just off the charts um and they they need to feel connected to the universe again and so they they sort of leave that scene with like how are you going to uh, you know calm the troops uh, as, a, as a good captain sometimes needs to do so we see the the shuttle with uh, Michael Burnham and, and Indira landing on Trill and they're greeted by Guardian G- Z Z I think they pronounce that Guardian Z and Leader Pav and um, racism immediately happens when they realize that the <laughs> uh, the Trill symbiont in front of them is not in a Trill because they're like yo so uh, so so where's this where's this symbiont at? I don't, I don't see anybody with spots on their face and they're like uh, okay um 
so you're the, the host. All right. All right. Very unusual. Can can you speak your names? And Adira says, uh, well, I'm Adira. And uh, I guess I know Senatal, right? <laughs> and immediately one guy's like, we need to force a separation. This is an abomination. Yeah. <laughs> and, Hard and harsh. Yeah. And Michael's like, what the hell? No, man. Like, <laughs> you can't force something on someone. It's like, oh, yeah, and, and the host dies in the separation. It's like, no, 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 no. You're not sacrificing Adira's life for this this nutty thing that you're bringing forth. And the, uh, I apologize, I forget the leader's name um, who's who's leading. Well, the, Voss. The Voss is the one who's being really aggressive. And then mm-hmm. there's uh, Pav is the leader and she is the sort of priest, I think, uh, character, the, the uh, guardian. All right, got it, got it. Um, uh, Voss basically is, makes a hard choice. Is like, you need to get the heck out of here. Um, your continued existence here, your continued presence here is really harsh in our vibe and, and hurting our ideals, right? It's, it's it's sort of vaguely religious in the way that they're handling this, right? And it's like, all right, so I guess we're going to leave and we're walking back to our shuttle. And Michael's like, yo, we're not walking back in the direction of our shuttle, right? Like Michael smells the ambush happening mm-hmm. here. And uh, and they do get ambushed and, uh, you know, um, you know, trill folks come up and they're like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take this symbiont out of, out of Adira. Uh, and Michael, uh, in a very non-Starfleet way, just pew, pew, pews the heck out of everybody <laughs> immediately. More like a George O sort of thing of like, yeah, you, you pull something on me. I'm shooting you first. I'm not even talking through this. Right. And she's ready to shoot uh, um, the C guy who comes by. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I, I, I want to help. Don't shoot me. Our society is on the verge of collapse. Right. We lost so many uh, symbionts during the burn and now we're separated from them. So they can't make their way, you know, back to Trill for uh, uh, for joining ceremonies and etc. So they're, you know, he he is the more reasonable of like, you know, he just really is focused on getting the symbionts, you know, back home and understanding their journey and, and where they're going next. And less so about the, um, you know, it, it is forbidden because this is the way we've always done it sort of thing. Mm. Uh, smash cut over to the discovery where Saru really isn't getting any helpful answers from his uh, from his virtual assistant on how to help the crew. He's <laughs> talking to the computer and then it, it sort of goes a little bit uh, Age of Ultron on him where it becomes more uh, more personable and, and more helpful than it really should be and you know hints of uh, artificial intelligence here but and strangely british <laughs> strangely british as uh, as nature intended right um, <laughs> like well you know something's wrong it's gone british yeah so I'll, I'll i'll hold off on a comment related to the short treks that uh, folks may or may not have seen because it will become i think a little bit more relevant towards the uh, the end of the episode when we get mm-hmm. to that point mm-hmm. uh but but hold on to that thought uh so uh back on trail z takes adira and uh, michael burnham to the sacred caves of makala mm-hmm. which is apparently like the uh the home place where the symbiotes come from it's these weird um pools of water where the symbiont sort of you know swim around and float and, and be free so i have a question the, the milky the milky waters i remember an episode of uh, deep space nine where jadzia yeah. goes there there for some reason sort of like kind of like the the um what's the seven year thing that that spock goes through um, oh, far. yeah she has to she has to go back to, and she floats around in this pool and and the symbiont leaves or, or maybe that was the episode with Riker. but have we not seen that set or that sort yes. of that that exactly like the same design before like yes yeah okay all right carry on i mean um so uh adira says hey the, you know, this ancestral cave feels safe it feels you know recognizable um 
we cut back over to Saru's uh, dinner party or perhaps uh, Thanksgiving dinner for the senior staff and bridge crew as he, uh, you know, he's trying to bring everybody together and uh, he's given the day off to the, the Discovery crew at large, but wanted to have the you know, more senior officers, uh, bridge crew folks talk about, you know, what's been going on and, and, and sort of come together, right? Um, Giorgio immediately has no manners <laughs> and interrupts <laughs> his his nice little speech there, complaining about the food uh, as he's want to do. Uh, and uh, Saru's trying to like really inspire the troops here, right? And he's reminding him like, look, we all made this choice and it's almost like a, a little mini prayer. Uh, what is it that you said? And he goes, you know, member by member. And he's like, I said, I said, I, you know, I, I, right. They all said I, that yes, they will, they'll join this, uh, uh, this seemingly doomed mission to, uh, to sacrifice themselves for the good of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and notably here, I think we hear from, uh, uh Arium's former actor, Nielsen in that one too. Isn't she Which one of the ones who says yeah. I as well? Yep. Sarah Midditch yeah, with does, some yeah. talking parts. Very exciting. Well, she had, she's had talking parts in, in the other episodes, but it's usually like a one-liner. So it's fitting that she just says I in this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. I, <laughs> Um, uh, in private notes, I had sent to um to Jonathan and and Tim. I said, you know, it's kind of weird that this character has been so um so in frame in the reaction shots, and it's mm-hmm. a little unusual that somebody who no longer can play a character sort of just hangs around, and they fit in this weird realm. Where I was like, are are they there just to meet some contractual obligation to get tax cuts or something from <laughs> from the Canadian government? I was like, I bet you this person's Canadian. And I looked it up. I was like, "Yeah, Canadian." So highly suspicious. <laughs> oh, you had to look it up. We we, oh, we know. Yeah. I, mean, oh, yeah. I, I know you guys have the newsletter. I don't. I don't have. <laughs> no, we're on a mailing list. It's fine. Yeah, I don't have that, so I had to go look it up. Since since we're pointing out all the Canadians in the show, Karen Robinson plays the the leader of the Trill. Um, I forgot the name of the character, but yeah, that's Karen Robinson. She was last seen in Schitt's Creek, which is like a major big coup uh, show yeah. for the Canadian peoples, yep. peoples of Canada. Anyway, which also shows that you know the. I'm sure the trail is actually in Toronto. Oh yeah, Planet Trail. I mean, right. Carry on, honey. Um. Uh, so, um, we we go over to uh back to the 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 caves, and uh, she's got this um this magic orb that checks the pool chlorine levels for safety, and it was like isoboromine or some other very similar name that I didn't write down, but it was. Yeah. I wrote it down as oh, she gets a bath and a bath toy, <laughs> a little bath bomb to go in there, right? It's just, yeah. uh, but it's 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 practically meant to uh monitor the the health of, of what's going on here so uh, Adira gets in the in the minority report pool, which is also what came to mind. That you know, you go in there and your eyes sort of you know they they turn white, they get unblunk. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, we go back over to uh, the tensions in the dinner party of like everything gets crazy tense. There's a hey, let's make this statement. It's like oh, it's a haiku, and Detmer has this ridiculously messed up haiku related to Stamets' blood and and not being able to get it off of anything. And Sam was like, dude, that's not cool. Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right? Like that that was a real problem I went through. And both Detmer and Stamets are fighting about who gets to turn this ship around. Who who is who's like. Like, well, the spore drive is based on me. I take us everywhere that meaningful. And she's like, I fly the dang ship. I'm the one who got us off the ground, right? I took us through the wormhole. Uh, and, you know, and, it, and I like the line where she says, and I landed this monster, where she actually crash landed it a couple episodes ago, right? Like, right. Pl- clearly that right. messed her up pretty good. So so everything's all tense there. We go back over to to more drama, uh, this time that the uh, the trill leaders have, have arrived to the caves, and Adira is basically kind of like drowning Michael's, like going to go to save them. They're like, 
like, what the heck are you doing? Don't touch our sacred water. And it's like, no, no, no. Reluctantly, he's like, fine, just, just, just go, go, go save the symbiote at the very least. Right. And uh, Adira can't be found. But, all right. Well, the only way that Michael can help is if she also participates in this, uh, in this ceremony. So she, she goes and gets her eyes blunk to, uh, to find Adira in the upside down. <laughs> sort of fellow or like get out, you know, falling in through the water into some other place. Yep. Last time for Burnham. Yeah. Um, and it's this really weird sort of environment where there's, you know, tentacles or nerve endings possibly is what I was thinking at the time of like, what is it that's being seen here? And uh, uh, Adira has been, you know, running away from these. She's like, every time I stand still, they they keep coming at me. And Michael's like, I think these threads are, are safe. I think they're trying to connect with you and, and help you understand, you know, what's going on with the symbionts. She convinces Adira to, to go with it. And Adira connects and sees their time with Grey, uh, who is supposed to be joined with uh, a symbiont. Um, they're on a generation ship trying to find the Federation, and they're they're a couple, and they're um, they're orphans, right? And uh, there's some some difficulty here of like, you know, are uh, are you going to be the same? And uh, Grace says, I'm I'm totally going to be the same, right? And we we see another image of uh, the boyfriend Gray, you know, can now play the cello after joining, and they're like, look, I, I'm still me, I'm just more me, mm. right? And this was really nice scene where uh, like, why don't you just show me in that box? It's obviously a, a gift. And Adira in this flashback is like, you know, oh yeah, I made this. It's like, what? You made it? It's not replicated? Like, yeah, no, I, I made this thing. Okay, open the box. And it's this uh, special quilt of memories, like the time the replicator broke and it kept making all these apples or here's, you know, this joining moment that they had. So it seems like here in a, in a future where, you know, you, you can grow your hair and cut it every day and uh you know you can replicate copies of anything you want or stitch together anything you want it seems like there is some value in doing things the hard old-fashioned way right uh, kind of neat there mm-hmm. uh but unfortunately this very happy scene goes south real fast and that like a meteor or asteroid or rock in space crashes into the ship basically right where they were were at yeah, it's the car getting t-boned scene yep. in just about every movie that you want to shock you with. oh yeah yeah and and gray towel has uh, has become injured tall tall being the uh, the symbionts part of the name uh, and, and the little medical drones are like this person will not survive um, but the uh, the symbiont survive uh, and they decide like well if adira becomes the host uh, this is the only way to keep going and you know here's where we see the um the other former hosts emerge kind of very similar to i think what jedzia or esri went through where they showed the the previous hosts sort of uh personified and and uh, able to talk um including gray gray arrives right and they help understand what's going on have some, some nice scenes and and accept adira as being you know the rightful uh host new host for the tal symbionts so adira and michael the pool uh very similar to the early parts of this episode the uh it's the i think is the one who says you know can you can you please speak names and adira says i'm now adira tal and goes through all of the different other names like senatal and etc and etc of all the the past names so they the trills seem very happy right they're like all right i guess i guess this is legit right this is something that's sort of like a uh like a test right for you know is this a, a proper joining or not and the the troll like well you know 
similar to the way the symbiont was you know rejoined um perhaps we could rejoin the federation again someday so you know they've uh they've, they've done the job here of uh solving the uh, uh the cultural problems <laughs> in a very fast fashion yeah at the very least you know uh, broke some yeah. ground and uh you know we, we cut over to the discovery where tilly's tells through like you know uh, thanks for trying we appreciated what you what you did i mean yes the thanksgiving dinner went horribly wrong but i mean you tried right we we understood the the, the thought that counts and stamets comes back to uh to apologize and talk about the uh the dark matter interface that, uh, that he had very casually brushed off uh from from tilly and and even detmer goes to see Culber about her ptsd of like just admitting is like look i'm i'm not okay right i i have this thing that i'm i'm battling uh, and we get a shipwide notification to go uh go to a surprise uh surprise movie night in the shell bay uh detmer and stamets you know kind of awkwardly encounter each other and even they have some reconciliation recognition of the stress going through and uh saru and culber talk about uh you know they're all just not fine yet right it, it takes time to get through trauma and and this is just the first uh and apparently the uh, i thought that was their parallel talk about the pandemic mm-hmm. to be honest with you i, I mean i completely agree it is absurdly well-timed given the the yeah. long timelines that go into producing this sort of uh this sort of show right yeah. um well but they were filming this during the pandemic and and so it does time out logically this this episode felt very pandemic reflective. Yeah, yeah, I think it's certainly possible and plausible that they might have you know tweaked some lines here and there uh, to fit in with with the the timeliness of what's going on. Um, but probably plot wise is is a little harder to to do in that. Bit. No, it's true. But the message of I'm not okay, but I'm gonna be okay. Yeah, we'll get through. We'll this, get through yeah. this together. We all need to support one another. We're gonna have blow ups. But we're okay. It really resonated in that reality that we're living in right now. It, it, there was it it was really hard not to see the echoes right right, right. um so saru coming back to what we talked about earlier about the uh, the ai portion is like you know i think the sphere data chose this old school movie i, I forget if they're watching buster keaton or yeah. harold lloyd yeah buster keaton. Buster okay keaton. good yeah yeah uh, and everybody you know that's showing it on the big like hollow projector sort of thing and everybody's enjoying and laughing and uh you know the the sphere data is interesting so this might be the part to talk about the the short trick really quickly and that we know that there is a point in time in which the disco has been left just floating on its own in this nebula and it has become self-aware and we see um i forget the character's name from the short trek um yeah that guy we talked about him a couple of weeks ago right so so other guy gets <laughs> saved right and he has a sort of a, a, a ai romance with with the ship and it's very much into these old school movies right Right? It's it's had all this time to to progress and become you know self aware. Crave Crave is craft. No. craft craft yes craft. thank you yeah. craft uh, yeah Aldous Hodge played craft yeah so I think we have a hint here that yes this is indeed the the sphere data uh, what could have ultimately you know been acquired and been useful for control to gain sentience and and use it for evil uh, might be an interesting. Well, you talked here. about the British accent earlier. You were referring to that when the the mm-hmm. computer system had the glitch mm-hmm. and it switches over to the sphere voice. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. and, and uh, Saru says, you know, like it sounds like it is gaining sentience and and working inside the computer system. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. So switching over to a scene where uh, Adira is talking to Michael Burnham and talking about how um you know the former host Senna knows how to find the Federation, knows the algorithm to use, and and starts playing the cello. And uh, you know Michael leaves the room, and uh, we see Gray Gray Tall uh, who appears and says, "You uh, you didn't tell Michael." 
about me. And so she's a Cylon. Yeah, it's, it's super Great. super weird. This is new for you know what we've seen out of the Trill. Uh, we have seen the former hosts in in memories in uh, seeing inside a person's head or particular ceremonies. Very unusual to just have them there, like uh, like their Casper, their friendly ghost kind of friend. And we end with uh, Gray telling Adira, um, you "Need to practice your your bowing." And yeah. uh, end of the episode. Yep. Now I will. Uh, I'm going to throw in one of my first questions just so that we can continue the rest of our conversation, which is Adira is referred to repeatedly in this episode as a she. Yes. Right. They don't specifically don't reference uh, a gender preference for Gray, but um, on Instagram, the actor who plays Gray says uh, they prefer they or he. So onward good luck gentlemen yeah it gets really challenging With we had pronouns, t- talked yeah. we had talked last time about how the actor who plays adira is non-binary if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken yeah however blue, blue del barrio is her name or, yeah me, however name. The, the the character is repeatedly referred to as she and her and in yes. this case gray irrespective of what the actor chooses is referred to as boyfriend, boyfriend and yes. assigned male so it's maybe for for ease of 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 writing writing um i view it as more of a, a, a gender fluid type of situation so that's a very long-winded way of saying that on this show i'm going to endeavor to do my best to 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 not make mistakes in this area but as mentioned it is a little complicated depending on who exactly we're talking about and if there are mistakes yeah. that i make it means i just need to practice harder at getting them you know not to make mistakes and then being correct well and i think the first step on the road is to try right you know we'll do our best give me the benefit of the doubt is what I'm hoping for here. And I'd have to listen to this episode again. I think I nailed it on this one, but I'm not I sure. Think you, did, you did better than I think we did last week. Last week, we were a little all over the place, but but uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Can I can I throw some questions? Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So we talked about the robots. The robots, uh, my question was, what's with all the damn robots? That was my, my written down question because we do see them multiple times. And even watching the art at the, and doing the opening credits again, I was once again caught by the robots robots and thought it's really interesting that they put that in there it must have a deeper meaning because all of the stuff in those has deeper meaning and so now we're getting this sense that the uh, sphere data has merged with the ship's computer and we've got the robots so now all of that stuff seems to point towards a direction of well this may not go as well as we hope it will go uh do you guys think that there's a a long game of you know ship goes crazy that's why they have to abandon it that's how we end up in the short tracks i mean it's, it's a good way to end the show it's certainly plausible and and given that folks have talked about this season of uh the federation has been fractured diminished and the uh, the plucky crew has to go and pick up the pieces and, and re rebuild the federation is very similar to gene ronberry's idea uh for star trek but that actually got turned into uh andromeda a mm-hmm. show which stars my uh my irrational <laughs> <laughs> i was a teenager when i say teenage love she was not a teenager i was a teenager at the time my irrational teenage love for uh lexa doig and that character interestingly enough was an ai character avatar for the ship mm-hmm. and spoilers for later seasons they actually build a uh, robot or android body and have a copy or extension of um, of the Rami character in the right. robot and it even argues with itself for the, the android version arguing with the, the ship born version so I could see them going 
to your point, that sort of route. Yeah. All right. Question number two. So we see Burnham at her best. She's walking along the path. She leans over to Adira and says, this is not the way back to the shuttle, by the way. It's about to get real in here. And the two guys show up with spears. Why they use spears and not phasers at 900 years past what we're used to with disco. We can discuss that. But uh, she pulls out the phaser, pew, pew, pew. She takes out the three guys and the adventure continues. Okay. So then we cut to the scene where uh, they're in the caves and Adira's in the water and Burnham and uh, the Guardian are standing there and then suddenly they get you know oh we have to hurry we have to hurry he makes a point of saying several times we gotta hurry and then the uh, rest of the trill show up and they've got the swords and there are the staffs and they're like haha we've got you now why doesn't Burnham have a phaser still with her like could she not have just she did she, them? She, I, it's interesting because when she got into the water she still had her hip uh, her holster holster on yeah right so I don't know. Does she put the phaser down, or does it get in the water with it her? You think if boom. she's that that aware of her sen- senses of of danger mm-hmm. the first time, and she knows that they're facing like she just stunned them, they're gonna get up, or they're gonna find them lying on the path where they left yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Why does she? Anyways, that, I thought that was a strange choice. Like it's a bit of a plot hole, right? I feel like that might be in uh, the editing room, cutting room floor, because mm. you're right that it, it all it needed, and I bet you they did have this, and then cut it for time like, all right we don't need this is something akin to um gosh is it the two towers in lord of the rings where the the, the remaining parts of the fellowship goes to see uh is it king theoden and they're mm. like you can't be bringing your weapons in here and yes. yeah, they don't yeah. except gandalf you know he has his staff because they're like you idiots why did you let the wizard have his staff right that's still a yeah. weapon um but they they, they right. were told like you can't bring your weapons here and they're like all right i guess we'll leave it i could see a little scene where the guy's like look like i know i'm a really cool trill and everything but it's still kind of sacrilegious to even bring you in here. And I especially mm. can't let you have weapons in here. Yeah. Like even a throwaway line like that could have moved the plot just to just cut the hole right out. But it, it just yeah, seemed yeah. a little glaring, especially because they had telegraphed that first one where you're like, yeah, Burnham totally recognized the situation and was ready. And, and then they undercut it by having them get the drop on it the second time. You're like, but she was so aware the first time, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right, and this is the most important question I had written down, and I wrote it down, like, within a nanosecond of this episode starting, because they did the little, like, uh, recap where they were like, oh, clearly we're going to go to Trill. What are the odds that Emperor George I was eating a Trill? And I mean, like, the, the symbiote. Like, 50-50? I mean, no, it depends it's how, how common they are to find, you know? Is it a delicacy? I was totally waiting during that dinner scene for her to be like, you know, back at my castle, we totally would be <laughs> dining on Trill symbiote burgers right now. Throw, throw another trill on the Barbie. <laughs> she holds up a piece of shrimp-looking stuff on her fork when Sarah was making his speech about eating food or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah. And she's she's kind of like holding it as if, as if it's kelpie. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just it, it, we've always we of course we joke about the Sarushi constantly, but uh, yeah. that was again immediately where my mind went was there's just no way that this crazy former emperor of the galaxy hasn't been like guys. I'm feeling peckish as Jaime just nailed with. With, nailed it with throw another trill on the Barbie, you know, like this is this has yeah, got to be a thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So when they're like, we're going to trill, she's like, damn, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, an interesting episode. Very uh, much. It was long. It was long, and it was very um, obviously. This one's a lot more emotional. You know, we knew this was coming. They've been telegraphing the the Detmer PTSD. They've been telegraphing uh, yeah. Stamets and his recovering from his injury. Tilly, like they've they've been obviously laying the foundation of this stuff. This episode was a inevitable um you know we only did really have that one scene of pew 
pew pew pew and other than that it was really about introspection and emotion and processing information and uh, coming to grips with reality and all these different things as I say a lot of it did resonate in that um, mirror of the pandemic right it really did have a sort of a oh how did we get here and now what you know kind of feel to it wait did the writers of Discovery cause the pandemic because I mean last year they wrote the series where we're moving 900 years into the future and the whole world and the whole existence is going to be completely different than anything we've been through before well you know if these guys are writing the future they're, they're pretty good at it <laughs> what yeah, but it's interesting because they're they do always sort of parallel um existence the way they do in in uh, you know they had the war mm. the gulf war in in um enterprise and uh, a few other things that they've done at the same time as they were going on in the real world yeah right? it's uh it's always an interesting reflection on where we are as a society star trek if if, if done at its best it is an interesting reflection of our mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. i do wonder though and one of the biggest issues and and um uh one of the people who points this out most regularly to me is xavier who's a very um shrewd watcher of some of these programs you know the idea of a lack of consequence you know one episode to the next where do things build and i think discovery's been better than a lot of science fiction as far as continuing you know uh growth personal growth or trauma or you know like they've been very true to slow and steady i wonder if next week everything's fine or i wonder if we're gonna see (laughs) you know continued you know like is detmer just like i got this now i can fly i i I told somebody i had a problem so everything's fine artillery and stamina it's going to be thick as thieves uh you know yeah Mm. i wonder if this will just all be swept under the rug because it seems like uh, again tim i don't know if you saw the preview i'm sure jaime you did for next week's episode um no i didn't see it you know they they uh tease that they're going to finally meet up with the federation as it currently exists Ah. so we're diving right back into the to the you know the thick of things it doesn't seem like it's as, as introspective an episode i wonder if this will continue or if this is just sort of and next because and captain captain Lorca will be in charge yeah really like it just uh yeah interesting that that they went you know they, they sort of telegraphed all these moments so you knew it was all building towards this i wonder if it has any lingering effects or if it's just like hey we solved that problem yeah it seems kind of quick to be on the fifth episode to have to getting around to finding spock you know because um, yeah. i mean that's last year last year was almost like the, the search for spock right for the first four or five episodes right yeah it, it's it is funny because you know we, we talked about that after the first and second episode that uh you know burnham shows up there's no sign of discovery the episode is very focused on her and how she survives and then the second episode is about you know discovery's arrival and then it all culminates with the two of the two sides being reunited and we were like wow that was really kind of fast given that you know she seasons are short but that's still pretty fast to have turned that around and then episode three they go to earth and episode four they go to trill it feels like they're they're creating a problem and solving a problem in pretty quick order yeah that's what made me think about the the robot thing right like if that was this was the first time where we got a, a tip that something larger i mean we've, we've had it that the, obviously the burn is the big mystery we've had it that the federation and where they are and what, how they currently exist is another thing so there are all these things but yeah we now know we're going to see the federation next week again it feels like we're sort of you know it's a little paint by numbers in that way not poorly told by any means but it feels like 
There was nothing that happened to this episode that I didn't anticipate. Nothing. Not one thing that happened wasn't how you would write yeah, an episode of television. No yeah. It was exactly yeah. like, oh, they've been telegraphing that Detmer's got problems. They've been telegraphing that Stamus has got problems. They've been telegraphing that, you know, Adira is going to have problems understanding. Like, all that stuff was going to resolve itself. I'm a little surprised that it all happened all at once, but I'm not surprised mm-hmm. at all that it all happened. So, right, right, right. like I say, the only thing that really intrigued me from this episode, and not, not that it was a bad episode, the only thing that really sort of stood out to me as part of the larger uh, tapestry of a season was the the robots, the the sphere data. Um, I mean, they could have they could have picked those up. I mean, the robots in the medical bay in in um, Adira's world made sense because she's yeah. she's living a thousand years in the future, and that ship was a thousand years in the future, yeah. right? But the robots repairing Discovery made no sense unless they picked them up from Booker when you know he he left her some spare robots or whatever. But like my, I'm, I'm going to go back to my objection from from last week's show with the hair growth and all that kind of stuff is like and what we know about time travel and you know wormholes and all that kind of stuff because you know it's all totally real right Mm -hmm. but what we know about that stuff is like why did it have to be a a perfect year like why did it have to be a year why couldn't it have been 10 years or 15 years you know like like why hasn't like just think of how i mean because her behavior when she takes out those those guys with the phaser and and so two things one is adira says that wasn't very federation like behavior Mm -hmm. you know that to me was that would make me her behavior was plausible based on how she survived the last year but you know a person doesn't lose federation type principles in a year they lose it in five years of survival right like they 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 would change their their natural way of behaving to the point where she could very easily take out a couple of guys in sort of like william shatner type mode you know because he would shoot first ask questions later too Mm -hmm. right but again how would adira know what is federation like behavior if the federation has been gone for umpteen years right yeah i I assume it'd be like the the fable and storybook level at that point right the myth and the legend yeah but then they might as well be jedis at that point right like because i think that's kind of the sort of the 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 sense of it is that you know the the federation since the burn has been gone i mean like is the burn supposed to have happened in most of these people's lifetimes like like is what did booker survive the burn you know didn't they say it was 30 years previous i thought it was it it happened like a hundred years ago now yeah a while back right depending on um, like how old some of the characters are compared to what they appear to us be right you know longevity could be different in the future um yeah, because the scoundrel from um, the second episode, third episode, um, says, you know, the one where they're in, they're in the, the, the honky-tonk yep. in the, the, with the cowboy doors. Um, he says, the best thing that happened to me was the burn. Right. Right, because now he's 120 becomes... years ago, I just looked it up from the first episode from my notes, 120 years ago is when all the dilithium went boom. Yeah, so it doesn't make, like, a lot of these plot points don't make sense. I mean, like, you know, like, you, you know, he, he made it sound like he became this sort of piratey kind kind of, you know, badass, you know, running roughshod over these poor miners. Yeah. Recently, you know, but like within the last five or 10 years or whatever, because he built up his little, his little world. Right. But, but but maybe he did like, maybe he was just some poor schmuck scraping by and then he got this opportunity to, and he's 120 years old. No, like he, he, there was some other, you know, mechanism. Maybe it was like a normal carrier one. And this guy finds an opportunity to, um, uh, exploit people and, it can turn south real fast. Yeah, or no. Um, and and with regards to the the Michael losing the Federationist in a year, uh, if we go back to what Quark of Deep Space Nine says, he's like, look, these humans are, you know, they're real good when they're fed and not stressed. You know, they they've got a roof over the head. But take away their creature comforts, and they're 
they're more vicious than any Klingon you might encounter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And and they do show a little bit of that deep space time. So for me, I think it's it's certainly plausible that given a year of rough and tumble, Michael would start leaning more towards the Giorgio approach to the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and Giorgio makes that illusion in the previous episode, right? That you know Burnham's changed and you know maybe a little more like her than she'd really be willing to admit. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, intriguing start to the season. I feel like there's some interesting character points, maybe not so much larger plot points. I guess I guess we're supposed to buy in that the big mystery is, you know, where's the Federation and, and, and sort of buy into that sort of the first half of the season as the sort of big mystery. But I don't know. I, I, I haven't really bought into that as a big, you know, dun, dun, dun. I figure that was inevitable, right? Like this, this is pain by numbers. It's, you know, we got here, you got here. We'll check out Earth. Oh, no, there's no Federation. OK, now we need to figure out maybe Trill. We can find the answer. OK, now we found the answer. Now we're going to find the Federation. Like yeah. this is this is, you know, it's paint by numbers storytelling stuff. But and it's gonna be disappointing. Like I'm I'm calling it now, like that you know, like if they it's kinda of like, you know, the alien in the first alien movie. If you don't see the alien, it has more impact emotionally than actually seeing mm-hmm. it, right? Um, you know, and in the director's cut you get to see that it's a guy in a suit, right? Like, you know, that you know, the, the minute I saw that it was a guy in a suit, all of a sudden the alien lost a lot of its power, its gravitas, mm-hmm. right? And um, you know, in the same way that Siru is uh, you know, a guy with five fingers. I mean, like I, lo- I was looking at his hands today thinking they've got these, he's got these really long fingers and stuff like that, but wouldn't it be cool if they had done it in such a way that he had three fingers instead of four, right? You know, like they could have, they could have done something like that kind of, that kind of stretching the thing. Like the fact that every alien in Star Trek has two eyes and nose, two arms, two legs, you know, yeah. Sarah apparently has a tail, of course we heard today, but um, you know, like it, it and, and then of course they had that episode in, in TNG where they explained that, you know, like some magic bean was was taped was was sprinkled around all the planets and we all grew up to be human beings or whatever right like yeah you know the founders whatever i think it yeah. was the ones who went around and did that oh right? no that's but, founders um, are from yeah they look like the founders but there's something else yeah yeah but but it's sort of like and it's the same sort of alien you know mythos that's in in ridley scott's movies these days where we all come from these architects or whatever they're called i forget what they called but you know like i mentioned i mentioned the other day that i watched i rewatched um um oh alien resurrection yeah you said no alien covenant Covenant, that's right yeah covenant and having you know seeing it before what we're going through right now it was kind of like eh, whatever it makes you know like it's a it's a thing right and then seeing the scene where they they land on the planet and the alien spores you know are airborne and get into the the people and start taking them out um that was a little too close to home considering what we're going through right now and it and it's it gave the movie because i remember i remember watching the movie the first time and i suppose because you want to sort of get through the story and find out, you know, how the Michael and, and sort of David and, um, what was it, the other Walter or whatever the other, um, robot played by Fastbinder is, um, you know, you want to get through it and sort of see what the plot is. And, and, but this one I spent, like my, my attention was more on the original landing on the planet and them getting infected and that kind of stuff. Cause that was a little too close to home. Right. So there's another movie that I watched recently and I'll, I'll add it to my watch list, but, um, yeah, it's interesting seeing them from this perspective. Right. So, but it, it's kind of like, it's going to be disappointing when we find out what the, what the deal is with the Federation. I, I, it's kind of like, I think they, I personally would think, and maybe I'm in the minority here, but I think it would be a better story vehicle if we never, if we maybe don't find out what happened to the Federation or we don't find the Federation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like, like trying to find the end of the walking dead. There is no end to the walking dead. That's the whole point. Yeah. Although I think in this one, I think the whole notion will be that they will be the spark that reignites really this, you know, unity 
across the galaxy and everything else. So they do find a home after abandoning their previous home. I mean, I get the metaphor. It's it's just, yeah, like I say, we'll see. But, but, you know, by the same token, though, I mean, a lot of, you know, the original series, a lot of new societies that they came across didn't even know who the Federation were. Or, you know, there was like the, the Tower or the, the Tower of Babel or whatever it was called, that episode where they're trying to bring the Tellarites and the Andorians together to, to join the Federation. You know, I mean, like, you know, and I think in, you know, Deep Space Nine and in Voyager, there were a lot of a lot of um, new worlds, let's call it, that they went to that weren't part of the Federation. Right. And, you know, that's sort of that sort of they were building the Federation is what I'm saying in, in those first, you know, series of, of, maybe, of TV shows. And, and this one, you know, the, 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 we've gone past the Federation. Are we going to go back to the Federation? Like, like, you know, like in Star Wars, you've got the, the, the rise of the of the Empire. Right. And then you've got the fall of the Empire. Now, in the new telling of the Star Trek or Star Wars, we have this new what do they call it? What do they call it now? The um, with Admiral Hawks or whatever is in General Hawks. Oh, yeah. The New Order or whatever. Yeah. The New Order. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. It's sort of first the order, next first order. Of, first order. Yeah. First order. So it's like it's like it's like Federation 2.0. Like, you know, what is that going to look like? And because it can't be having having gone through the burn and having gone through the whole you know of this this world these worlds um not having a federation you know how can you bring the federation back in its, in its glory right yeah. so one like i used to, I used to joke about the original series being you know spreading the the uh, the american way through the universe right so that sort of seemed to be the the solution to everything was teach them to, to do the pledge of allegiance and and that would solve all the problems literally right? pull out the constitution of the united states of america which is <laughs> yeah. hilarious and very on the nose um but you know jonathan you're saying some interesting things about the the pace here and we should try to remember this uh at the very tail end of this season because historically and history is only two seasons thus far but historically we three hosts have noticed that there is a pattern of like you know they've set up a lot and there's only like an episode or two episodes left how are they possibly going to wrap this up and we always call it the hold my beer i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. wrap up these storylines yeah. <laughs> so i wonder if, if the george lucas checklist is what it is yeah, yeah i wonder can, if they learned a little bit on that i was like all right well let's put the hold my beer at the beginning and then we can control the pace going up to the final episode let's let's see if that ends up turning out to be the case or if they just threw more in there and we're still going to be hold my beer for the final episode yeah yeah i mean again and, and it is one of the challenges too of you know these these more compact british style seasons that we're getting in uh in this world nowadays where we're getting you know we're not we're not quite down to the three or four episode seasons we're getting in england but we certainly are getting you know a tighter one i think you know 10 episodes for for uh, uh lower decks you know this one is i think it's 14 you know you, you do have to be more compact in your storytelling but i think we would all acknowledge as people who survived the era of let's do 24 episodes because 24 episodes is how many you need to do in a season for no explicable reason and you know mm-hmm. I, I, I saw kevin smith talk about this once where he said you know the rule of thumb is there's you know uh eight good ones eight bad ones and eight that are okay and that's if you go back and you watch almost any season of almost any show from the 80s and 90s it's not bad math you know there's really only eight episodes a season of any given program that really matter or that were exceptional there are Mm -hmm. eight where you're like yeah it was okay and then there are eight where you're like why did they make this and it's because of all the contractual obligations of you know well we got this many weeks to fill and and that's what the contract calls for now you know we're telling 14 uh you know telling the whole thing in 14 episodes we're cutting out those 10 of chuffa hopefully that means that we're not doing equal you know four four and you know four four and three or if it's five five and five 
or whatever it is, or five, five, and four, hopefully we're getting a more equitable and logically paced season than, you know, maybe we are. Mm-hmm. No clip shows, no visiting the Scottish planet <laughs> to reconnect yeah, yeah. with our yeah. grandmother's love ghost. Um, yeah, th- thank you very much for <laughs> perfectly illustrating my point. Like, there are so many episodes where you're like, I can't believe they did that, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you went back and you, you know, and I had this issue with uh, with Xavier. Xavier, my son, wanted to uh, catch up on Star Trek. He started enjoying. He's watched all of Discovery. He's watched all of Lower Decks. He's watched Picard. He's gotten into this really? new iteration of Star Trek, but he has not watched very much of the, you know, pre-New Era. And, you know, he's he has this completest sense inside him where he's like, I kind of like to be able to sort of start with the original series, watch every episode of every series as I go through. I said, well, first of all, that's going to take you months and months and months. And second of all, mm-hmm. you're going to tune out because some of it's bad. So if you boil it down, I mean, you think about it, realistically, there's probably only maybe 40 episodes of, of TNG that you really have to watch to get the whole crux of the series. And same thing for DS9, same thing for Voyager, less so for, for Enterprise because it was a lot more just sort of meandering. Uh, and the original series, I know I'm going to take some flack for this, but probably only 15, 10 episodes that you really need yeah to know i agree i mean i, I started watching I, as i said i was i finished watching um all good things last last week so of course this week they're, they're back at the very beginning and i think my least favorite episode of star trek ever is the second yep. episode of, of the um, next generation 100 you know? agree with you that is a terrible yeah. episode of television yeah and i watched it and you know it was so bad and 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 picard or john you know, patrick stewart is so wooden oh, in yeah. those first uh, uh, episodes, yep. you know, and Data is such a well. I graduated from the Starfleet, you mm-hmm. know, so they did find their and, legs. And, there's, a, there's a uh, even within the first sort of five or six episodes. There's a couple where you're like, oh, okay. Even the one and we talked about how trite it is and how often it's replicated. The the one where they all you know get sick and they all want to hump each other on yeah, the you know yeah, that's yeah. still a good episode. Like it's so trite and it's so obvious, but the performances are good. The character uh, arcs, you know, the relationship between Tar uh, Tar. Uh, Tashiyar and yeah. Data, the you mm-hmm. know, like a lot of stuff started start to come to the fore, and that episode's actually pretty good. Even though you're like, I could, I could give you know a thousand monkeys a thousand typewriters, and they'd come up with this in twenty minutes. Have we had that in Discovery yet? Not yet, right? No, and I think that's a huge credit to them. They did do it in Lower Decks, mm-hmm. but I think it was an homage to how many times it's been done on science fiction slash Star Trek. So yeah, I, I think for the completionist aspect, it's like my son, you you cannot be a true Star Trek fan. <laughs> Unless you have seen Code of Honor and Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. I'll give you Sub Rosa whether you want to or not. But those two should be an interesting uh, dinnertime discussion <laughs> at your household. But like, let's talk about what we just saw in these episodes and and why they're problematic. Yeah, although it's funny because I think mm-hmm. about like the great episodes, the, the episodes that really stand out, you know, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. You know, you think about these great, you know, yeah, all the yeah. sub references and stuff like that, that sort of... There are four lights. Yeah. Like there are so many um, where, yeah, you want to, you want, you know, your, your son or your, or your friends or, you know, whatever to, you have the, you know, Oh, what do you think? What do you think? You want to ex- 
expose them to these things, but then there's so many where you're like, I feel bad for recommending this, <laughs> you know, like, ooh. Because again, if you watch Encounter at Farpoint, you're like, okay, well, it's, you know, it is, it serves its purpose. It's a pilot, right? Two parts, it kind of establishes the the Starfleet ethos, and it's critical. You have to know who Q is, you have to know the characters. Okay, fine. But then you can skip easily another three or four episodes in there. And then in season one, other than that, as far as required watching, there's like three episodes, maybe, maybe. Like is the one where the tar pit one of the, the one, Yeah, I would say it is. I mean, it's not a great episode of television, but it's certainly a milestone in that um, you know, they wrote off or killed a character off like that. And she does come back in some critical episodes when she comes back. Uh the the time travel episode, yeah, sure. the was it Broken Arrow? Sure. That I mean that might be one of the best episodes of the entire run. Um or Time Zero, what's it called? Time Zero? The one where the, the they're in the time loop and it keeps going around and then Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean that's brilliant brilliant storytelling yeah that's probably i think that episode where, where data starts to realize what they're in the loop that's i think one of the, and they keep yeah. trying and blowing yeah. up yeah yeah where the like the first the the pre-credit scene ends with the destruction of the ship and you're like what what's happening like that's really one of the best examples of how good trek can be when it's at its best yeah exactly yeah but yeah i again, again I, I feel like at some point maybe we need to do that as an exercise we have to say to uh uh xavier if you want to get into this world here's the required uh episodes of each show that you need to get into it'd be a good discussion to have too because you know opinions may vary as to what's an essential well, friends of the show um gene mcdonald's a friend of ours she's the one that wrote the, the voyager oh, yeah, yeah. um list right she does a she does a show um, called Voyage. Or I don't know what it's called, but it's it's a, a podcast, and she's I don't know maybe two years into it, and she has a, another friend or fan or on, and they watch an episode, and then they talk, they review it, and uh, it's an interesting take on it because she doesn't she handpicks the shows to to like she doesn't go through the whole thing like we're doing now, like we're doing this because you know these are coming out and we're talking about them as they come, right? But she does them she handpicks the episodes and then assigns it to the person to watch, and then they t- they talk about why they think this is a great Janeway show or whatever, or, or, or how did Neelix act in this one, and so on and so forth, right? Um, and it, it's an interesting way to, to, to approach this, right? But that's, you know, going back and revisiting something that's, you know, been a long time long time ago. And I think we could do that. We could sort of say, you know, pick a pick a, an episode and, and talk about it, or, or we all do it together kind of thing, right? So, yeah. anyway, um, let's, uh, let's move on to our watch list, since we're getting on in time mm-hmm. here. What do you got uh, for us, Jaime? So uh, the fine engineers over at Disney have apparently decided that Westworld and Five Nights at Freddy were really good models for <laughs> what they're looking to do. So th- this will mm-hmm. not play very well in an audio-only medium. So I do recommend folks go to the show notes. I will read the title and see if that explains. Disney's new skinless robot can blink like a human because why not? And <laughs> you watch the video, it's actually pretty impressive and horrifyingly creepy i don't know why they didn't put you know some sort of covering on this because it's cool tech it's interesting the way it, its eyes move they call it uh cicades I think the rapid eye movements it looks like it's moving up and down to to mimic breathing i'm sure this will make much better cooler stuff at the parks but boy almighty i couldn't stop thinking about westworld and five nights at freddy's and and being killed in some horrible way 
Right, cool. Second one I have here is uh, Voyager's triumphant return to fluidic space, where apparently uh, physicists in a university in the Netherlands have 3D printed a miniature version of the Voyager uh, <laughs> at a five, sorry, 15 micron size. And it moves because the uh, the coating that it has on it and the solution that they put it in interact in such a way that this just moves based on chemical reaction. So apparently this is something that is being being done uh, not just for fun but to to prove out like what they can do at very very small scales with 3d printing so tim i know you've had some some funds with 3d printers could you imagine yours printing at 15 microns in size and making a voyager or what looks like a the steamboat willy steamboat not really sure well that little that little the little steamboat thing there is uh is uh it's a test print uh, model that a lot of that they use to measure to qualify printers right um like you print this uh, they, I forget what they call it, like, uh, but it has a name, and I'll find it out for next week. But any you know magazine or whatever, anybody who's testing a printer will print this particular model. I've never actually printed it myself, but but this is one of those. Uh, and the other one, the spiral that you see there, like, is a spiral printing spirals is apparently a good way to test a printer. But yeah, that's what uh, the whole steamboat thingy is. It's a it's a common commonly used model, Benchy, three D Benchy, they call it, <laughs> uh, which is a tugboat. Yeah, you're in the article, but that's that's what they called it. It's the benchmark printable thing, right? Yeah, it, it makes sense that you would have some some benchmark thing that you run everything through to see, like, how does this compare? Yeah. What are the what are yeah. the the defects? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah, because I mean, like it like it's there's an there's an arch in it, and and you know, printing arches can be problematic for some printers, like because you know if you're printing something that that's not supported underneath, it's, it can sometimes cause problems for printers. So that's a good good test of that. But I think the detail and comparing the detail, and so so as soon as you know, I saw the I scrolled down to the pictures of the other objects they printed and or the 3d benchy there's you know typical but definitely like i would knew immediately it was a 3d printed job as soon as i saw that little guy mm. yeah ready jonathan you wrote snl snl yeah i'm uh i've been enjoying the season of snl but i wanted to just flag uh that this week's episode is uh sure to be a classic so snl this week is going to be hosted by dave Chappelle, who is one of my very favorite right. comedians i've had a chance to see him live a couple times and uh i'm, I'm I'm a humongous fan and the, the musical guest of the Foo Fighters. And I put it on here because uh, he very famously hosted the episode uh, in 2016. The last time he hosted, and I believe the first time he hosted was 2016 uh, when it was the several days after the U.S. election. Uh, there was a lot of surprise as to what had happened in 2016. And he uh, did a very good job of um, just sort of coming out and saying, you know, yeah, we're all surprised, but like, let's just sort of, you know, see how it goes and he did a really good job of balancing the humor uh with the sort of shock and and catharsis that i think america needed in that moment um particularly you know the audience of that show i think tends to skew more towards the the democrats and so it was a really good episode so i'm really uh looking forward to seeing what he does this week um and uh and and the foo fighters are there too so it's gonna be awesome hmm. and the other thing i have on here i don't know if you guys have clicked on this link but if you haven't please do so now because it is brilliant oh yeah mm-hmm. as soon as i saw the the first sort of gallery image and then clicked through i was like oh my gosh this is amazing this is <laughs> the greatest thing i've ever seen by the way tim if you're looking for christmas ideas this is the top of the list so uh the star wars 
figures that have been put out over the last number of years. There are a variety of different lines. There is the Black Series, which are these very high-end, very uh, articulated and very detailed figures that you can get from Hasbro. There is the Vintage Collection that are the same stature as far as size as the classic line of uh, three and seven-eighths or whatever they are, action figures uh, to scale, although nowadays they're certainly uh, far nicer, more modern looking sculpts and then they have this series they call the retro collection and the retro collection what they've been doing up until now is doing these figures that are in the style of the original packages and there really are kind of replicas of what the original figures look like for those of us uh, who don't necessarily have all the original figures or they want to have them in the packages they're really nice little keepsakes but they've decided to up their game recently by putting out a series of action figures done in the classic style. They look very much like they belong in the 1978 through 86 Star Wars action figure line, but based on the characters from The Mandalorian. So if you go to this link and you can have a look, they look amazing. And they are the first seven figures from this retro line that look like they are taken right out of the 1980s figure line, but they are the characters in The Mandalorian. They've got the vinyl capes. They've got, you know, all the kind of uh, you know the the zero point that they've got like arms and legs go up and down head turns that is it they are just like a classic 1980s Star Wars figure but we've got the Mandalorian we've got Cara Dune we've got IG-11 we've got of course the child or baby Yoda as he's commonly known uh, we, we've got um, Moff Gideon we've got Gar, uh, Griff Karga we've got uh, the the Ugnaught character that uh, that helps out the Mandalorian in a couple episodes and they are they're just the best they're just the best thing i've seen all year these things are awesome and i'm Mm -hmm. so 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 happy that they have decided to just do this i don't know if this is a one-off or if they're going to keep doing more or if they're going to do other uh you know like are we going to get a ray and finn or are we you know in this sort of more retro style uh but i am way into this this is awesome Hmm. i may christmas list yeah definitely this is pretty amazing i mean just (laughs) the cape does that vader weird vinyl style cape just was amazing yeah and the little the little like uh stand that they have baby yoda on with the the little like it just looks exactly like it came like it's honestly feels like a time warp it's just so brilliant i uh i i just love that they decided that this was something to do they're a little more expensive than these standard uh figures though the the link that i've put into our show notes is for buying the full set of the entire first wave which is seven figures and it this is canadian this is a canadian site that i've got a link to but it's 130 dollars canadian so doing the math that's 100 dollars american um and i think i looked it up individually and yeah they're they're more or less 16 17 bucks a figure so a pretty far cry from the you know three dollars or four dollars they were when they first came out uh in the 1980s but still if you're a fan of uh of the original line of figures and uh and or the mandalorian this is a pretty pretty kitschy and cool christmas idea mm. and tim hasn't commented because he's busy ordering them for me for christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah I told, the, the site that i linked to here is uh the reason that i um did this one is because um there are some really good uh, big bad toy store there's some great uh online toy stores for finding um collectibles of this ilk but this one is called toysnowman.com and it is a canadian-based one so for canadian listeners um it's always nice because that obviously they charge in canadian dollars they ship in within canada and that keeps the costs lower so yeah, yeah free shipping 
shipping it says here so it's yeah good. if you order i think it's over 80 bucks or something like that they give you free shipping and stuff so yeah you never know otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. so very cool cool yeah, so I was telling you earlier that I I've watched a couple of movies and they're they make it a little bit more sense in 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 light of the current uh, events going on. And so one of the movies I I've been wanting to watch for a long time and it was just it was on because you know last week was Halloween, so there was a lot of you know uh, Halloween obviously was on and you know Friday the Thirteenth and the Terminator movies were on. Um, so I kind of flipped by those and watched a little bit of those ones. And um, the uh, but the one movie I wanted to see was John Krasinski's. Um, directoral uh, piece. I don't know if it was his first one or whatever, but uh, called A Quiet mm. Place, starring his wife Emily Blunt and himself, and these amazing kids who are who are in the movie too. Uh, you know, I always wanted to see it. The, the story behind it is that there, again, it's another one of these sort of um, uh, alien invasions, kind of War of the Worlds kind of thing, where these these mysterious, you know, assuming alien uh, creatures take people out, and what they do is they're they, they they're blind basically. They're effectively blind other uh, creatures but they work on sound and so the whole you know the whole um thing is this family has survived this uh apocalyptic you know uh, pandemic kind of thing and they're all walking around you know not saying a word the one daughter's deaf so they all use sign language to talk to each other including the the normally um, hearing abled persons and um they put they pour sand down on the on the pathways as they go from one place to the other they don't wear shoes so they, they can't make any noise whatsoever and and uh and it's 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 a really creepy movie and at one point uh emily blunt's character um she's pregnant and she's now ready to she's due to have her baby just as one of these aliens is like in the house with her and she's going through labor and giving birth to this child while you know literally biting her tongue um uh, to, to and it's just it's like you know i mean i've not been you know there aren't many you know things i've been jumped you know had jumped out of my seat in a few movies and stuff like that but this was a really creepy movie and again this perspective of this kind of um, change in the way the normal normalcy of things totally reflects what we're going through right now with the pandemic and the lockdowns and the mask wearing and the, all that kind of stuff right so um, really really interesting movie to watch at this this time in our lives right so I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, or not but um, and apparently there's a second second version as well mm-hmm. have you seen it I, I have not I've, I've seen a quiet place I've not seen the uh, sequel prequel right it was it a prequel i think maybe it's a i thought it a, a both prequel and sequel i'm not sure yeah i've not seen yeah, it yeah yeah and it, it you know it's really it's it's an interesting interesting story because i mean there's you know it's sort of the family dynamic as they go through this this trying to survive in this this thing and with a baby like you know like who you know how do you stop a baby from crying and how do you plan to to keep a baby quiet and that kind of stuff so i mean there's a lot of planning and things that go into this movie uh, oh, oh, wait that, Wait, I know the answer to that one. It's use a condom. Use a condom, right. <laughs> I guess they would last for a while before they uh, they start deteriorating. True. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting uh, dystopian kind of you know the future is not what we think kind of movie, hmm. right? Well, I definitely recommend it. A Quiet Place. Cool. And that's it for the week. So hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Jonathan, people want to get in touch with I'm you. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right. And as I said last night, live on the air to Xavier, <laughs> the number one fan. My name is Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. 
Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, Spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. spirit of halloween last week i watched uh zodiac which i'd never seen before oh, yeah that's a good movie I like that i one. Yeah. really enjoyed that i don't like um i love david fincher but i've been putting off watching that one for years because i don't like um scary movies very much really uh, not not especially but 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 it's not like it's it's funny because it's a very it's kind of an unsettling food but it's funny because i it, it really felt to me and maybe it resonated with me just differently because it's centered around these people that work at the paper right so yeah, exactly, for me, yeah. I was looking at it from that perspective and it felt like a, almost like a procedural for doing an investigation. It was really enjoyable. It was really, really well done and great performances. I was, I thought that was, uh, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo and, and the Jake Gyllenhaal. And Robert Downey, Downey Jr. too. It was the whole Avengers uh, Marvel Universe thing going on there. So, I mean, I don't know what it is, but my, one of my favorite genres is serial killers, right? Not, I mean, mm. not, I've not, not watched Dexter though, but I mean, like those kind of movies, like Son of Sam and, and, you know, the, and the Zodiac Killer, I don't think they ever found them, right? Um, well, in, in this one, they basically follow it from the, the, the book that was yeah. followed. They, they, they pretty much know who it is, but he died before they were able to um, prosecute him. Right, right. So, I mean, I think it probably goes back to uh, the Jack the Ripper, you know the story from London, mm, right? Mm-hmm. That, sir, I would have heard about that when I was quite young, and and that's been dragged out in Doctor Who and whatever. Um, but yeah. and you know, I think even you know, yeah, Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that run across mm-hmm. that one. But um, yeah, for some reason, I just I love those kind of stories. And so when Zodiac came along, I'm just oh, Son of Sam was another good one too. I think it was a, mo- mm. it was a movie about that's, um, um, what's that one Spike, called? Spike Lee, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah. really really good movie. Um, yeah. compelling, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just sort of I don't know, it just these weird you know sort of stories i don't know what it is about serial killers that i like so much but i don't know well i mean they're they're utterly the idea that someone is that far sociopathic is really i think it's a fascination for all of us like how could someone get to that point we've had some we have a couple of famous canadian serial killers in real life right and uh i don't know what in the states where well we've had the son of sam and john way gacy and you know stuff like that right yeah dahmer bundy yeah yeah for sure yep um yeah there's actually there's a fascinating movie that was done ages ago like easily 20 years ago on hbo um i think it's called citizen x 
And it's about uh, one of the most notorious worldwide serial killers who was operating in communist Russia. Oh, wow. And it's about how he used to pick up, um, you know, kids and tweens and the the people who have um, mental impairments and stuff like that off of trains and take them out to the woods and murder them, rape them mm-hmm. and murder them. Mm-hmm. But uh, they it's basically, a, a, again, it's sort of a procedural. It's got uh, Donald Sutherland and it's about how basically inside of a world where they did not want this information getting out there because they considered uh, serial killing a decadent Western thing. Right, right. It's about how they had to like quietly do this investigation and look into this, uh, who it could potentially be. So they're sort of telling two parallel stories, one about the investigation, one about the killer himself and how he's sort of, you know, getting away with all this stuff because of the type of government that was in place and everything else. Very, very interesting story. But this person killed like 50 plus people. Like it was a very epidemic thing. And it really, it's actually, it's after Perestroika uh, when the when the um, west or the eastern block falls, that they finally put two and two together, and they start working with uh, the western um, serial killer investigators, and they put it together, and they find this guy, and they catch him uh, in the end. So we actually know who it is and everything else. But it's it's a very well done movie. I think you can watch it like on demand, and it's it's been out mm-hmm. there for a long, mm-hmm. long time. It's one of those movies. Every time I happen by it on one of the uh, on demand channels or the um, you know pay pay TV channels or whatever, I watch it because it's just it's really really well done yeah we had those weird those weird stories we had the the guy that had the pig farmer the pig farmer oh yeah pick yeah, up, yeah pick up um out in bc pick prostitutes up uh, prostitutes and, yeah and then yeah. feed them to his pigs and then yeah. uh, they would find you know yeah all over the farm um and then the recent one was the pick guy for, who was for. the guy who was picking up men in the gay village in toronto yes and, uh, yeah and that was recent that was only in the last uh, several years last where year, yeah, last year or so yeah and he they, was uh, a gardener right and yeah he was and he would, like, you, you would have like your, your landscaping done and he would put you know dead bodies in the bottom of the pots in your, in your yard right yeah yeah really, that's horrifying yeah yeah so yeah just yeah. just just weird stuff and killing eve of course is another another show that i love well and of course the, the paul bernardo one is of course one of the most yeah famous, well it's uh, funny because you know i don't know have you ever seen the american movie that they made with um no i uh i've never yeah. managed to do it either too actually you know it's funny i don't know he picked up one of the girls in the bus shelter that was across the street from my old high school in st Catharines. I've, I've been in that bus shelter well, and we know uh, my brother actually knew uh, he was dating a young woman mm. back in that era, and he was yeah. going to school down there, yeah. and they were friends yeah, like, yeah. with one of the victims. Oh, really? Uh, oh, really? Oh. Um, yeah, so that's, that's you know, pretty pretty close lines. It's scary stuff to think, that, like, you know, they're but for the grace, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, close to home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaime, I thought of you. I, I finally got to watch the first episode of the new season of Mandalorian mm-hmm. on... Yeah, this, I, would be, I, this would be a great show to watch, talk about Mandalorian on let's, think, let's, let, let's well, find that out because you guys might not remember but I said way way long ago I'm like oh okay good so there's really good timing for me to watch probably the final month of uh, The Mandalorian which is a couple weeks I think in December I didn't look at the schedule but let's let's pretend it finishes like December going into January I said oh yeah it actually doesn't, doesn't finish till the second week of January okay yes. so, so middle of December is probably what I said I'm like oh that's probably a good time to sign up so that mm-hmm. I can binge season one 
catch up to season two and then start watching on a weekly basis to finish out season two. Yep. And you've also got uh, one division is coming and Mulan and Hamilton is there. And I'll be I'll but, now but be I'll able be to watch the then month old Lego Star Wars holiday special. That's right. <laughs> Basically That's just getting right. as much content as I can for the seven ninety nine. I think it is. Yeah. But I, I must admit, I, the, the first episode came back and it was, I thought, amazing, like just such a great episode. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to send Jaime eight bucks because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> you got to get on board this thing, man, because it's just so all good. good. All, all like, in due I, time. All in due time. They're like 30 minute episodes, right? So it won't take me that long to, to get through to well, catch it's, up. It's funny. Like, how long do you figure after the first episode came out last year before you were spoiled on the whole baby Yoda thing? Like, obviously, that's the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, on that I one. don't, has been I don't for know a long which time. episode that was. Uh, end of the first episode, of the first episode? Is, is when you first is when you first meet the and character. you actually see yeah. the character straight on. There's not like in the shadows yeah. or yep. something. Yeah. Okay, so it, it yeah. must have been nope. that same week then because uh, yeah. the memes started flying. Uh, well, maybe the memes weren't there. Maybe it was the um, it was the mention of the character, and certainly by the second or third episode, there were tons of memes of of stuff going on. So it was it was hard to miss. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not going to spoil this episode in any way, but to say good luck avoiding what happened in the first episode well, I've, I've, until mid-december I've, yeah mid-december might be you know the, the, the we've got this election thing going on that has, has, has <laughs> changed, changed all that. the tension so i'm not seeing any memes not related to the election in my uh, my yeah, usa twitter so i'm doing right. okay so far but it point taken that it will be harder as we get closer to that mid-december time frame yeah no i was uh again I'm, i will not in any way spoil it but to say uh it was it really did start the season off with a bang there was uh a lot of a lot of pew 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 in this one and it was very very well done and where very well put together and um just chock a block with easter eggs and all kinds of stuff for star trek uh, star wars fans and uh yeah it's uh I, boy it's gonna it's gonna be hard to avoid that although you're right i think the u.s has got bigger fish to fry than mandalorian season two but uh it uh oh it was good it was really 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 enjoyable cool. so good luck <laughs> <laughs> this th- this is uh explicitly my choice and i suffer the consequences i'm well aware of this i'm telling you man we'll just we'll take up a collection to all our, our listeners all five of you put in a couple bucks it's time to pony we up for all the free content yeah, yeah, no, no, now's the time yeah. to mention our patreon you know but you can read yeah, we do have a patreon page this, any amount true. that you want helps you know <laughs> i think i think tim and i would be willing to eat this one if we if we get you know uh eight dollars us in through our patreon we'll direct it straight to jaime so that he can get on board a little sooner yeah <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I've had CNN on in the background the whole time we've been uh, any, any going, updates? and nothing. <laughs> nothing <laughs> yet. I told happening. Mark I, I can't. I can't be doing a touchdown dance till it's legit. Twenty twenty is the yeah, year of yeah. crazy thing happened. It, it is the ultimate year of Lucy <sighs> pulling away the football. Like it really is. Yeah. No. It. Uh, they. They have done more updates. They haven't called anything today at all. But. Uh, but they've been doing updates on when they get vote counts in, and they're like, "Well, it's down to this. Oh, it's down to that. Oh, it's down to this." And, Oh, the path looks good. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, you let me know when you're done. Right, right. Anyway, the dog is going to explode. So <laughs> he's behind me whining and making noises and whatever. So, All right. Well, tune in next week, folks, when we'll hopefully have a president of the United States decided and uh, <laughs> more Star Trek goodness. All. <laughs> Just to set expectations, there, by next week, we might have... Uh, 
we, we might have a, this person is currently believed to be president. Now, the court system <laughs> will take a while. If the year 2000, for you kiddos, go look up what happened in that election year. Uh, is any indication it might be into January, which uh, January 20th is the inauguration for uh, the, the incoming president. So um, there's a ticking clock there. So it, it can't go longer than January, mm. as far as I'm aware, uh, but it could very well go into January. Yeah. Here's hoping not. Yes, yep, sir. Yep. All right, guys. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Later. Talk to you next week. Okay, bye. bye.